chapter 3. We walked through the book of Habakkuk over the last few weeks. And one of the reasons we took him, uh, walked through the whole book was uh, to help us understand how to read books in their entirety. And we often versatize and we pull out a verse or a passage that we like. And when you go through a book, it makes you confront the parts that you maybe have never read before, the parts you don't like, but all the parts that are still God's word. And we've been walking through Habakkuk and uh, looking at this whole idea of these ways that we struggle with God and the ways that we wrestle with God and the questions that we have uh, from God. Um, Ed Doring is a doctor from Arizona. He dreamed his whole life of reaching the top of Mount Everest. But when he summited a few days ago, he was shocked by what he saw. Climbers were pushing and shoving to take selfies. The flat part of the summit, which he estimated about the size of two ping-pong tables, was packed with 15 or 20 people. To get up there, he had to wait hours in line, this picture, chest to chest, one puffy jacket after the next, on an icy rocky ridge with several thousand foot drop. He even had to step around the body of a woman who had just died. This has been some of the deadliest climbing season on Mount Everest. You may have heard this in the news recently with 11 deaths. And some of it seems to have been avoidable. The reason? The good weather, but the crowds. So when someone gets in distress, normally they could get back down the mountain and to find help. But traffic jams mean that people have to spend more time at elevations that are not suited for them. And so it's longer to wait for possibly life-saving treatments. They have acute mountain sickness is the term. It isn't fatal, but the, the, the symptoms make the climber feel crummy. It affects up to 77% of those who climb between 6,000 and 19,300 feet, the top of Everest. And so they get headaches and they experience nausea and vomiting and all those kinds of things. And so people are in a place where they aren't accustomed to and they can't get down to get some life-saving help. And so they have acute mountain sickness But I think as we live our life and as we look through the book of Habakkuk, we have acute valley sickness. We are in those valleys in life. Psalm 23 verse 4 says this, Even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Right in the middle of this great Psalm 23, the psalmist says, Even though I walk through what? These dark valleys and these, these valleys in, the, in the Palestine that are deep down in the air is stagnant and it's humid and we, there's this, the sun is blocked by the caverns and so we walk through these places. And if we're honest, don't we all walk through those places? We are all at times in those valleys. We use a valley as a metaphor for that, that long journey of suffering, that long journey of darkness where the air is hard to breathe and it's difficult uh, to just move ahead. And so we have acute valley sickness. You can have zero climbing experience and go up to the top of Mount Everest, but you can't live all of life that way. John Nuremberg is a dog musher. He's a homesteader and a former park ranger. He lives in Alaska, and he's written a book on Denali National Park. John married Karen and moved their three teenagers from Ohio to John's homestead, a homestead without electricity, running water, or indoor plumbing. So a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 16-year-old moved to Alaska, and they had to learn how to walk two miles across the tundra to catch the school bus. No electricity, no cell phones, only a wood stove for heat. And when asked how they did it, John said, if you have someone to show you a few tricks, you can adapt to anything. Habakkuk is going to show us today a few tricks on how we can adapt to walking through this valley of deep darkness, this place that we find ourselves in in life sometimes. 
the places that we find ourselves that are, are, are difficult and we want to give up and we don't want to move on. So Habakkuk is going to give us those tricks today. We're going to just walk through Habakkuk. Uh, the, the summary of the book is this. Habakkuk starts and he prays. He says, Lord, don't you see the wickedness of the people? I can see it. Can't you see it? Don't you want to do something? Can you hear? Are you able to save? And the Lord says this. Yes, Habakkuk, I'm sending the Babylonians. I see the wickedness of the people in, in, of your countrymen, and I'm going to send an even more wicked people and more treacherous people. And Habakkuk says, um, Lord, do you know what you're doing? He asked one question. He didn't get the answer he wanted. So then he asked another question, and he says, Lord, are you really sure you want to do this? And so God comes back, and he says, Habakkuk, you will live by your faith. You trust me. The righteous will what? Live by faith. We will walk this life by faith. We'll have eternal life by faith. And so Habakkuk says, okay, I'll live by faith. I will struggle through this. And then we read the, this part in Habakkuk where Habakkuk has this taunt psalm where he scoffs at the Babylonians and he has these woes to them. You are murderous people. Guess what? You're going to be murdered. You have gotten ill-gotten gains. Guess what? Somebody's going to use those ill-gotten gains and they're going to use them against you. Ha, 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 na, 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 is really what he's saying. And so there's this taunt against the Babylonians. And then he says, Lord, would you repeat the warrior works that you did at Sinai? When the mountain trembled, when the people feared, when you led your people out of Egypt and we saw the great wonders and the miracles that you performed, you split the sea and you delivered your people. God, would you, would you do that again? When you, would you just come as this, as this warrior and just, and just wipe out the wickedness that we see? And Habakkuk's thinking, and he's like, oh yeah, by the way, in your wrath, remember mercy. <laughs> All of us as sinners would be wiped out as well. And so Habakkuk says, Lord, and remember your mercy. So we see the gospel in the book of Habakkuk that God doesn't give us what our sins deserve. In fact, in Jesus, what? He took the punishment for us. And so now we come to the end of the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3 and verse 16. And we're going to get some, some, some training uh, uh, tips that we can use as we walk through these dark places in life. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. This is his response to God saying, I'm going to come as this warrior. I hear, he says, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. And then he closes the psalm. And so Habakkuk gives us a couple ways, a couple tricks for us to survive. There's an old Sufi saying that says this. You think because you understand one that you therefore must understand two, because one and one make two. But you forget you must also understand and. One and one is two, but you have to understand what and means. And so in these tips that Habakkuk gives us, there's this little word, and both of them begin with this word yet. And so we have to understand, what does the word yet mean? And I love in the scripture, when somebody goes through these things, and they see all this stuff in their lives, and then they come to this place and they say, yet. It means nevertheless. It means at the same time. 
At the same time, I'm questioning the difficulties of understanding what's going around me. And when I'm in these places in life and these, these, these two things are going on, I can simultaneously do both of those at the same time. There's not much we can do at the same time in life. Like walking and texting at the same time doesn't go well for most people. We try to do it. But these things that Habakkuk tells us, that begin with that little word yet, that mean nevertheless, that mean while something's going on, that regardless of what's happening, that we still do these things. You see, texting while walking will hurt, but these things that Habakkuk gives us will heal. Well, what are the things that he tells us? The very first thing is this. I yet, he says, yet I will wait quietly for the Lord. Look at verse 16. Isn't that what he says? Habakkuk, what does he do? He hears, and he struggles, and he wrestles with God. And so what Habakkuk says is this. Okay, Lord, in your time, it's going to be 20 years until the Babylonians are taken, or, or have come, and it's going to be a long time until they're taken care of. And so what does Habakkuk say? He says, yet. And if you and I can say that little word, yet, it's going to be a tip and a trick for survival in these valleys we find ourselves in life. You see, most of the time, we, we, we don't say yet, we say, I will do it when, I'm going to wait when, until things change, then I will do this. But when Habakkuk is told, you live by your faith, it's to say, yet, in spite of all that's going on, yet, I'm going to do this. And so Habakkuk's reflecting, and he he's, hears all that the Lord has told him. And so he's able to express his faith in the Lord. You know, when you and I say, yet, it's a way that we, we, we express our faith in the Lord, Lord, I've got this terrible diagnosis from the doctor, yet I'm going to wait patiently for you. Lord, I, I've got this hard thing that happens in, is happening in my life, yet I'm going to wait patiently for you. Lord, I, I'm in this situation that's difficult and it's painful and I wish I didn't have it, but yet I will wait patiently for you. Isn't that a word of faith? Yes, it absolutely is. Yet. In the midst, while I'm walking through this valley, while I have this acute valley sickness, I'm going to say, yet, yeah, Lord, I am going to wait quietly. Oh, man, he says that. He says, yet, I will wait quietly. He's done his talking. He's questioned God. He's not understood God. He's re-questioned God. And it just comes to the point where he just has to say, Lord, I see what you're going to do. And I'm going to wait he does not remain cowering, but he has this calm certainty, knowing that God will, will meet him and God will do as he's done before. He's going to bring judgment on Israel's enemies. The long-awaiting day and time will come. But in the meantime, yet, he says, I will wait. The book of Habakkuk represents the kind of faith that's normative for somebody who believes in the Lord, who follows the Lord. We don't try to shape our own destinies, but we trust the Lord for his plan and his unfolding. The empires come and the empires go, but the Lord remains forever. And so Habakkuk comes and he says, yet, yet, I'm going to wait patiently. The only path to trust is through fear of the Lord. Whoever is hardened toward God, when that day comes, what do we do? We, we're agitated and we're miserable. And Habakkuk rem reminded himself that today is a day for waiting. I've done everything I can. I've questioned I've done all of that, and all of the earth will be silent before the Lord. Look what 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 says. This verse is on your notes. Paul reminds us, he says this, Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes, 
He will bring light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. You know, we often look at this idea of waiting as something terrible and something awful, but what if the waiting is a way that we can express our faith? What if the, what if, what if the waiting, what if in the waiting is the way that God wants us to demonstrate our faith? That we can say, yet, I'm going to wait quietly for the Lord. What does quiet mean? It means there's, this, there's not this agitation, and there's not this lashing out, and there's not this anger. But if we're honest, we don't like to wait. We want it now. We want it yesterday. We want it sooner than later. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, don't judge anything before the appointed time. Do you know we are too quick to judge things as good and bad? Something happens to us, and we say, man, that was terrible. And then we get a couple days or a couple years down the road, we say, you know what? At the time, it didn't seem so good, but the Lord used that, and I'm the person that I am today because of what I went through back there. But in the moment, we will say, this is awful, this is bad, and we are so quick to do that. Something happens, and we make a judgment, we say, this is bad. And the Lord's like, wait a minute, you wait quietly. It's not going to be bad. It's going to be good. But you have to wait for it to happen. On the other hand, something we think is good happens. And and we say, man, this is good, but it turns out bad. You've seen the statistics for those who win the lottery. (laughs) They end up bankrupt and miserable and divorced. And everybody hates them. And they are depressed and miserable. And at the moment when the check is right, they got the big check. They're like, yes, this is great. The Lord's like, you need to wait. This isn't going to be so great. Why are we so quick to judge things before their time? And it's always from a self-centered perspective, right? So when we get the money, we get the thing, we have the, we're like, this is good. And those hardships, we say, this is bad. But the Lord's like, wait, you need to wait. Because what you think is bad may turn out for your good. And what you think is good may turn out for your bad. And the only way you're going to find that out is by waiting. It's the test of time. It's the test of moving through the daily of every moment, every day, because we are human. We are stuck in time, and so that's how we live our lives is through time. And so sometimes our bad is for our good, and sometimes the good ends up as bad, and we suffer, and the Lord says, you need to wait. You wait. Don't judge it too quickly. you got to get some time between that thing and now today, and you will see what I'm going to do. That's what he's telling Habakkuk. Habakkuk says, yet I will wait patiently for the Lord. And he's gonna, he is going to see what the Lord's going to do. Yes, the Babylonians are going to come in, but the Babylonians then are going to be conquered, and God's going to bring his people back from exile and bring them back to their homeland, and all these great things are going to unfold, but you have to wait. You have to wait. Look what James 5, 7 says on your notes. Be patient. Oh, let's not just go through you. Remember that nails on the chalkboard thing? When we hear that word patient and wait, isn't it like that? We just, we just don't like it. It's because we're looking at it from the wrong perspective. We're looking at it from our flesh and not from our faith. James says, be patient then until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Now James wrote this 2,000 years ago. Did the Lord come back yet? No. So what does he tell us? You wait patiently. You wait 
patiently. See what the farmer does? If you've ever planted seeds, you put the seed in the ground, you don't go out the next day, and you're like, wow, where's my tomatoes? I wanted to make a salad. I just planted those seeds yesterday, and I don't understand why there's no salad, why there's no tomatoes. Or you put the corn in the ground, and you go out, man, I'm going to put the seed in the ground today, and I'm going to invite all my friends, we're going to have a, a, a corn boil tomorrow, and you all come and taste my sweet corn, and you go out, it's just dirt. Why? Because you have to wait. That's how the world is structured. That's how creation is structured. It's structured to wait. It is just waiting because we are in time. But Habakkuk says what? He says, yet, yet, Lord, I don't quite understand everything you're doing. I hear what you say you're doing. I'm not sure I get it. And we are still not, have, we still haven't dealt with all the evil that I see. But Lord, yet, I want to wait patiently for it. Can you say that today? Can you say in that valley, or the dark valley that you're walking through, that place that you're in, whatever that is, can you say that today? Say, yeah, I will wait quietly for the Lord. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength when you can say that. It's a sign of faith. Now, the second thing that Habakkuk says is this. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. He says it. Look at verse 18. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. Think about all the things that Habakkuk just said could happen and, and maybe happen. The fig tree doesn't blossom. There's no fruit on the vines. The olives have failed. I'm not going to get any wine. I'm not going to get any olive oil. The fields, I'm not going to get any bread. There's no food in the fields. I am not even going to get some mutton because there's no flocks in the fold. There's no herd in the stalls. I won't get any T-bones tonight because everybody's gone. And look what he says. Verse 18, yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. When you go from verse 17 to verse 18 in Habakkuk, it, he's, he makes this statement, even though this happens, what does he say? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. That's what the Psalm 23 says. Even though I walk through the dark valley, I will fear no evil because you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Figs and grapes and olives represent the entire harvest of Israel. And Habakkuk says this, Lord, even if all of that fails, yet I will rejoice in you. Isn't that a statement of faith? Though the fig trees should not blossom, literally what that means is a disappointment of hope. You have fig trees and you go out and you expect to see the blossoms. Why? Because the blossoms will one day turn into figs. And you go out and there is just no blossom. What is that? You have this expectation. You're going out to see the blossoms, and you go out, and there's no blossoms, and it's like the deflated balloon. You're just... <sighs> Don't we experience that in life? We have these expectations. We see these things, and we go, and we're so excited, and we're like, oh, it didn't turn out how I thought it would be. It didn't come around how I envisioned it. It's not happening at the moment. You see the fig tree isn't blossoming and there's no fruit on the vine. And we all experience those times in life. And what Habakkuk says is this. He gives us the tip and the trick to survive in the valley. And it is yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And so here is a transition from a complaining prophet to a rejoicing prophet. And somewhere along in our faith, we need to have the maturity in our faith to change from a complaining disciple of Jesus to a rejoicing disciple of Jesus. 
There's got to be some moment in our life. Yes, we can ask the questions. Yes, we can complain. Yes, we can say, Lord, why is this happening? All those things are good and God, uh, God can handle it. He wants us to talk to him. But at some point, we have to come to that place where we stop complaining and we start rejoicing. They have done studies. I just saw it again yesterday. Do you know your brain is actually rewired when you complain? The, heart, the, the physical makeup of your brain is rewired the more you complain. And so if you complain all the time, you are rewiring your brain for what? For complaining and negativity and depressing thoughts and woe is me and everything's going wrong. And the more we do that, what happens? Our brains are physically rewired. And at some point, it has to go from complaining to rejoicing. Now, what does Habakkuk say? Look what he says, and don't miss this. He says, yet I will rejoice in what? The Lord. He didn't say, I'm going to rejoice that there's no figs on the tree. I'm not going to rejoice that there's no fruit on the vine. I'm not rejoicing because the olives failed. I'm not rejoicing because there's no herd in the stalls. I am rejoicing in the Lord. And that's what makes the difference. Rejoice in the Lord. He was at peace knowing that God, the God of justice, was going to repay the Babylonians when they come in and conquer Israel. Philippians 4, look what that says on your notes. Rejoice in the Lord sometime. Isn't that awesome? Like, you don't have to do it all the time. Just do it whenever you feel like it. Isn't that cool? Paul says that. Rejoice in the Lord sometime. Is that what your Bible says? No, what's that word? Always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I say it again, rejoice. Paul's like, in case you didn't hear me correctly, I did say rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Do you know what rejoice is? You had joy, you lost it, and now you're rejoying again. And that's what happens when we go through these times. We have the joy, we lost it, and now we're rejoying. We got it back again. So how do we get it back? Rejoice, Paul says, in the Lord. Listen, you don't have to thank God for the hard things in your life as they are, but you can thank him for who he is and say, Lord, I don't understand this, but given some time, this may work out for my good. And so I'm just going to go along for the ride until I see what happens. Lord, this is difficult, and I wish I wasn't going through this, and I wish I didn't have this, but I'm going to rejoice in you. I hate this thing that's happening. I don't like this thing that's happening, and yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Don't ever put that bind in. And I know believers have done that through the, through, uh, sometimes, and you may have heard that. Well, just, just, I'm just praising the Lord. I'm praising the Lord. Okay, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. I'm not necessarily happy what's going on. You don't have to live in denial. Our faith is real. And if you're hurting and you're suffering and you're, and you're just depressed and anxious, tell the Lord, and he doesn't expect you just to get over it. But what he says is, you can rejoice in me. Your heavenly father is going to take care of you. I love you more than you love yourself. I see where you're going and you don't see where I'm going, but you wait patiently for me and you rejoice in me. Look what Paul says. He continues in Philippians chapter four. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Isn't that the waiting quietly? Habakkuk says, yet I will wait quietly for the day of trouble. Lord, I know you're going to bring about your justice. And so he says, I... 
There's, there's just this gentleness here. You show me somebody who's always railing and, and is just angry. They have no gentleness in their spirit. is because they're not trusting. They're trusting in them to fix it. They're trusting in everything to work out how they want it. Listen, there is nothing in life that's going to work out just how we want it. Nothing. We graduate from college and we look for that job. And we're like, man. Right? We all have the vision of the perfect job. And you get there and what happens? It isn't anything near like you thought it was going to be. We do that with church. Man, I want to find the perfect church. And you know what? You go and you find out there's other people there just like you. It ain't so great after all. Man, I'm just going to find the right person to make me happy. And so we go from one relationship to the next, to the next, to the next. And you know what happens is that we get into that new relationship. We're like, oh, this kind of stinks like the last one. What's going on here? It's because I am trying to do it myself, and I'm looking for a fix that's not in the Lord. And Habakkuk says, you, what? I will rejoice in the Lord. Lord, I hate where I am. I don't want to be here, but I'm going to rejoice in you. That's what he's saying. Paul says this, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Isn't that, what the, isn't that what Psalm 23 just said? Even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness or, or the shadow of death, what happens? You are with me. That's the promise that we have. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God. Look, look at this promise. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Isn't that great? It's in Christ Jesus. If we're not in Christ Jesus, we should be anxious. If we're not in Christ Jesus, we should be a mess. But if we're in Christ Jesus, we don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be worrisome. By every, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, we present our requests. And God's peace, which transcends all understanding. Did you ever someone look at you when you're going through a, a, a difficult situation? And uh, you, know, you, you know the Lord, and you're just going through that. And they're like, how are you so calm? I don't get it. That's the peace that passes understanding. I don't understand. This is going on in your life, and yet you still have some joy. How is that? I don't understand that. Why? Because it's beyond, it transcends our understanding. You don't have to figure it out. You just do it, and it'll happen. And he says, you will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. And so Habakkuk ends this book in this great way that though the, though the fig tree should not blossom. Lord, even though I may never find another relationship, nor fruit beyond the vines. Lord, even though I may not get the job I want or the job that I like. And there's no, uh, the fields yield no food. Lord, even though finances might be tight or even non-existent. Even, right, even though, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Now, isn't that a statement of faith? It is. So Habakkuk gives us these two tricks and these tips to help us survive. And that is, I will wait quietly for the Lord and I will rejoice in the Lord. And where is the focus? It's in the Lord, right? The Lord will give us some strength. And then here's what he says is going to happen. When I wait quietly for the Lord and I rejoice in the Lord, God's going to do something for you and he's going to do something for me. God the Lord, verse 19, is my strength. We only have so much strength. 
And as we get older, our strength seems to diminish, right? We used to be able to pick up a Volkswagen Beetle. Now I can't even pick up a Japanese Beetle. And so my strength is, is going. But, the, but Habakkuk says, when I rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation to know that whatever happens, I'm in God's care. I'm in his hands. His, my, my salvation belongs to him. The Lord is my strength. Man, whenever we feel that we're too weak to carry on, we, can't, we just cannot do another thing. It's because our strength has run out, but God has the strength for us. He says, the Lord is my strength. But then look what he says. Remember Habakkuk is the king of metaphors. He uses all these metaphors for the Babylonians. They're swifter than leopards and all these kinds of things. And he says, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. You know what God does for us? Is when we are down in that valley of darkness, that doubt of, 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 of despair, he says he makes our feet like the deer. And the order is important. He says, the Lord, the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my strength. The Lord, first of all, I trust him. And he is my salvation, right? He is my savior. And then he makes our feet like the deer. Whatever strength Habakkuk had, he owed to the one who could give him the strength. Now, why does God make our feet like a deer? A deer, the feet of a deer, implies the swiftness which with God will allow Habakkuk to escape from his enemies. The land where Habakkuk lived has rocks and caverns. And you've seen pictures of, of uh, Israel. It's, it's uh, dusty and deserted. And, and uh, there's uh, uh, rocky cliffs and all kinds of places. Who is suited to go to those mountains? It's a deer. God's created them. In fact, in the Bible, the Fleeing and the rescue always has that imagery of a deer that's moving. And so Habakkuk says, Lord, you are my strength. You make my feet like, a, like the deer. And so his closing words are very different than his opening words. How does Habakkuk start the book? He starts with hard accusations and he starts with questions. And now the prophet surrenders to God's purposes for Israel and for the nations. God not only patiently answers, but he gives the prophet the power to continue on. Habakkuk's going to live triumphantly and faithfully through it all. You see, the challenges of life present a challenge to us. It's what it means to be human. We have challenges, then we have the God-given freedom to course through those challenges. Part of what it means to be human is that we have the challenges, but God has given us, created in his image, the ability to either face the challenge or to shrink back in fear, to either go by faith or to hide out. Part of what it means is to be human is that God equips us to go through those places. And Habakkuk says, Lord, you're my strength. You make my feet like the deer. You know, it was interesting this week. Not only were uh, 11 people had died on, on Mount Everest, but you may have read the story about an Oregon college student who was uh, killed last week after a tragic fall while taking photos at a lookout 
point in, uh, on the Oregon coast. And so she wanted to get the perfect picture. And so she fell about 100 feet, right? She's leaning out to get the picture. She wants it just right. She's 100 feet in the air. And so she falls, and she, um, she had hit a tree on her way down. And so um, at least uh, three other people have died recently, uh, falls at the Grand Canyon and other places, while trying to take photos. And so why are they dying? Not only people on Mount Everest, but people are dying trying to take these photos. is because they are not equipped to tread the heights. You lean a little too far out over the cliff. Gravity's going to take over and you're going to fall. Our feet are not designed to bound across the heights. Our feet will trip and we will fall. But what does Habakkuk say? Habakkuk says what? The Lord makes my feet like that of what? As a deer. That phrase is often used in the scripture. Second Samuel chapter 22. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. Psalm 18.33. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. So how do we get out of this acute valley sickness to tread on the heights? Well, there's an answer, and the answer is always Jesus. Jesus lifts us from the valley of despair to tread the heights. It's not that when we have Jesus, we just climb out of the valley. And we go like one foot after the other. And we get out and we're like, whew, I'm glad I'm out of that valley. Here's what Jesus does. And Habakkuk gives us the image. It's a deer. Have you ever seen a deer? They don't just struggle. What do they do? They bound and they leap and they jump over the rocks and the caverns and the canyons and the crags and all those things. Why? Because they're equipped to do it. And Habakkuk says, you know, the Lord will equip us to do that as well. I will wait patiently for him. I'll wait quietly for him. I will rejoice in him. And you know what we'll find ourselves doing? We'll find ourselves, instead of being stuck in the valley, we will start finding ourselves bounding across the heights. In Malachi chapter 4, in verse 2, verses on your notes, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Does that verse sound familiar? How about, hark the herald angels sing. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that men no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. That's what Habakkuk is talking about. That's what Malachi is talking about. Jesus, who not only has healing in his wings, is risen so that we can have healing in our wings as well. We don't have acute mountain sickness when we're in Jesus. We have this awesome mountain bounding. When we're stuck in the valleys, when we're going through those places, when we're in those dark valleys, we can say with confidence, yet, yet, yet I will praise you, yet I will wait for you, yet I will silently wait and hear for you. You see, the word we have to understand what the word yet means. But let me tell you, Jesus is our yet. Jesus is the yet in our life. Even though, even though I walk through the dark valley, Jesus is with me. 
yet I will praise the, I will rejoice in the Lord. How? Jesus. Because of Jesus, I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet, because of Jesus, I will quietly wait for the Lord. You see, Jesus makes all the difference in the world. Our faith is sure-footed. And we use those expressions. The rug was pulled out from under me. What happens when the rug's pulled out? We fall. Something sudden happened. I didn't see it coming. Whoosh! And down I go. But Habakkuk reminds us, and the gospel reminds us, is that we have a sure-footed place to stand. I can stand solid when I'm in Jesus. Even though this happens, yet I will rejoice. Even though this happens, yet I will quietly wait for the Lord. I can't do it myself. I get as anxious as you do about the things that you do in life. You take your car to the garage. I had my car in the garage this week. And uh, you're waiting for the call, aren't you, from the garage? You know what the call is? They're surveying what needs done, and they're calling you with the price. And you get the call, and you're like, okay, fix it. You go pick it up, and he says, oh, by the way, you need something else done, right? And so you get anxious, and you're like, okay, and then you have to step back. Say, Lord, I was not standing on the sure-footed firmness of my faith in Jesus at that moment. I was in my fear, and I was in my uncertainty, and I was in my anxiousness. How do I get out of that valley? I remember the tips that Habakkuk says, yet I will wait, what, quietly for the Lord? I just like, Jeff, you just need to shut up. It's going to be fine. All, all those situations, right, we can, we can just talk, 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 talk. And one thing that talking doesn't do is it doesn't necessarily make us feel any better, I will wait quietly for the Lord. I will rejoice. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for who you are. Our faith is sure-footed because Jesus broke the bonds of death and he rose again. With healing in his wing. He was lifted up so that we could be lifted up. Habakkuk has this triumphant joy in his saving Lord. And it's an inspiration to us that even though we go through those things in life, we are... Habakkuk 3.19, the sovereign Lord is what? Is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. Are you, do you have deer feet today? I don't mean tiny little feet that, you know, can prance around. But I mean those kinds of feet that come from the Lord that will make you tread the heights, bound the heights, that we are equipped, unlike the people on Mount Everest, and unlike those people taking selfies that are falling to their death, we are equipped because of Jesus to bound the heights. I seriously, look at your feet right now. Just look them out, look at them. Right? Are they deer feet? Right? I don't mean wingtips and sandals. I mean, are they deer feet? It's Jesus that gives us the deer feet. You look at your feet, you say, deer feet. I need some deer feet so that I can tread the heights. Let's pray. Father, we all know what it's like to walk through dark valleys. We all know what it's like to be anxious. We all know what it's like to be uncertain. We all know what it's like to be hurting and confused. And Father, just wanting to get out of the thing we're in. God, we thank you for the tips from Habakkuk. That little word, yet. 
God, we desperately want dear feet today. The feet that Jesus can give us to tread the heights and to say, yet, even though all these things happen, nevertheless, in spite of, in the midst of all of those things, I, I will wait quietly for you. Yet, Lord, in spite of all these things, in in the face of everything that's going, yet I will rejoice in you. God, we're not living in some sort of denial that the things aren't difficult and aren't hard. We don't have questions that we're not sad and we're not lonely and we're not confused and we're not heartbroken. But, Father, in the midst of all that, we have the presence of our Savior and our strength in our lives. And we thank you. So, Father, over these next few moments, we are weary and we are troubled and we are just burdened. But, God, may we put our eyes on Jesus, look to him, the one who broke the bonds of death and rose again so that we could rise with him. So, Father, over these next few moments, give us a new perspective on life. And when we leave this place today, may we have the feet of a deer to bound the heights. In Jesus' name we pray.